Please be seated. False teachers in the church. So, in the late 1800s in London, the most prominent, the most faithful, the best known, the most amazing preacher was a man by the name of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He died January 31, 1892. So in the 1880s, here he was at like the zenith of his preaching career, if you will, huge church, everybody knew about him. And he was part of, he and his church were part of a group called the Baptist Union. And to his great sorrow, in fact, sometimes he said, it's killing me. To his great sorrow, the Baptist Union was crumbling theologically was falling away from the truth. They had a college, Spurgeon and his group, had a college called um, Spurgeon's College. And they trained up many, 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 many young men for the ministry. And those men were now Baptist pastors in the Baptist Union. But the Union started cracking up on him. Let me read you a little piece. He wrote a six-page report of what was going on and published it, and all, all sparks flied everywhere. And he writes... How much farther could they go? What doctrine remains to be abandoned? What other truth remains to be the object of contempt? A new religion has been initiated, which is no more Christianity than chalk is cheese. And this religion, being destitute of moral honesty, palms itself off as the old faith with slight improvements. And on this plea, where the, where the same old faith was slight and blue, on this plea, it usurps pulpits in churches which were erected for gospel preaching. The atonement is denied. The inspiration of scripture is derided. The Holy Spirit is degraced into an influence. The punishment of sin is turned into fiction. And the resurrection is a myth. And yet these enemies of our faith expect us to call them brethren and maintain a confederacy with them. A couple weeks later, Spurgeon and his church withdrew from the Baptist Union. The Union voted to accept his withdrawal, and then they, um, they condemned him. His own brother voted to condemn him. Many if it was, I forget exactly, it was like a thousand people voted. The vote was a thousand to seven. Only seven stood with him. All the others were on the slide. He wrote, the case is mournful. Certain ministers are producing infidels. Avowed atheists are not a tenth as dangerous as those preachers who scatter doubt and stab at faith. Germany, he says, was made, and this is true, Germany was made unbelieving by her preachers and England is following her tracks. About 30 years later, America was following in the tracks and we had the same thing happening here in the fundamentalist, modernist controversy when all the old mainline denominations crumbled. A few of them stood. More of them are crumbling today. false teachers in the church. They're always here. In every age, the church has false teachers. There's a new brand of Christianity now. It always has new names. They always sound cool. 
their perpetrators look very hip. And the new name is, I'm a progressive Christian. As soon as I heard that, I went, I know that smells bad. I, I listened to an interview, Josh McDowell, the great apologist, his son is a professor at Biola College now. I listened this morning to his son interviewing a very prominent now progressive pastor who started off and all the way through college was, you know, Bible-believing, solid and all that. He now calls himself a, a progressive. So he was interviewed by McDowell, and it was hard to get him to admit to where he really stands. There were lots of weasel words, lots of evasions, crafty. But basically what it ended up with is he didn't believe anything anymore. In fact, he didn't believe in believing one of his main tenets was, we shouldn't be writing down beliefs. We shouldn't make people hold to beliefs. We shouldn't care about beliefs. We should just care about love. He's a pastor of a church, big church in Southern California. People are flocking into that stuff. They want to hear about that stuff. Yeah, Southern California. <laughs> False teachers in the church. There are plenty of them in our day. So Jesus is not just crying wolf when he says, Matthew 7, please, Matthew 7, 15. He says, beware of the false prophets. Beware. That, you say beware when there's a danger. You say beware when you're issuing a warning. He's saying beware, watch out, be careful, look out. Beware of the false prophets. Now, I don't think Jesus is just crying wolf and there's no real wolf. I don't think Jesus is starting here to make a big deal about something when there's really a small deal. And maybe, you know, rarely does a real false teacher come along and they're obvious who they are when they do. No, no, no. Jesus says, beware, be careful. There's a danger here. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. It's crafty. They come in the flock and they go, bah, bah. I'm a sheep. And they look like a sheep. They're a wolf. On the inside, they're a ravening wolf. But they look like a sheep. And they talk like a sheep. And they walk like a sheep. And, and they'll, use, they'll carry a Bible and use biblical terminology infused with new crafty meanings. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Jesus said that. I didn't. When you get a false teacher, you might say, well, he's a really nice guy. No, he's a ravenous wolf. He's going to do people harm. He, he doesn't know it. He's a pawn of the devil, and he's out to damn souls. They're ravenous wolves. Beware. There are wolves. Look out. You will know them by their fruits. Spurgeon said the fruits of these guys are they're producing infidels. They're producing atheists. They're producing unbelievers. You'll know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from, figs from thistles are they. So what do we learn? Jesus warns his church in that generation and in every generation and in our generation. Jesus warns you and me, there will be wolves. The, serious, the problem is serious enough that he uses the term beware. He's warning us. He's saying, watch out. It's my theory that there are probably both more wolves than ever in our day and certainly they have way more, massively more access to us than they've ever, 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 ever had before thanks to the World Wide Web and your device. So all you have to do is Google and up come wolves. 
And now you can easily, quickly, instantly expose yourself to the crafty teachings of any wolf on the planet. And some of them have podcasts with many, 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 many listeners. And they interview other wolves, but they all, they're crafty. They make it sound good. They make it sound Christian-like. They don't come right out and say, yeah, we're departing from biblical orthodoxy. We no longer believe in the inspiration and inerrancy of Scripture. Or they come out and say they do, but we still we love Jesus. We're about Jesus and his love. There are many false prophets. Beware of them. Jesus goes on to say, Matthew 24, 11, and many. He's not crying wolf. He's not exaggerating. Jesus doesn't exaggerate. He wasn't misinformed. It's not like he's telling us there are many. It's not like, well, if you live to be 90, you might run into one of these once. But don't worry, it'll be obvious. He'll look like a wolf. No, no. He says many false prophets will arise and lead many. You see the many goes with the many. And lead many astray. This is a big danger. Many people will get, Jesus says, will get led astray by false teachers, and there will be many false prophets or false teachers that will arise. And there have been. Read church history, and there's a constant, incessant, never-ending stream of false teacher, false teacher, false teacher, false teacher, all the way down through, and it will only get worse at the very end. It will be so bad at the end that the Lord Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will there even be any believers? And Paul tells us in the Thessalonian epistles that there will come a time of apostasy. He calls it the falling away. Maybe there's hardly any believers left on the planet due to persecution at at the very end of this age. But Jesus says many of them will rise and they will lead many astray. And my friends, he's not crying wolf. And we have them more than ever And anybody of any age, anybody of any theological training or not training, grounding or not grounding, has has instant access to many. Contrast that with uh, what looks like a la-la land now that, that I was born into Christ into. So I was 17, complete pagan background, no church, no nothing. Friend took me to a Bible study at a church in Westminster, heard the gospel, believed, became a follower of Christ. These were the only Christians on the planet that I knew. I had never met, no one had ever talked to me about Jesus before. So I really felt like I have found the Christians that are on the planet. They're in Westminster. And everything they told me, I believed, and most of it was very, very, very sound. And the parts that weren't so sound didn't matter because they weren't big core issues. On the core issues of the faith, they were absolutely solid, and they grounded me in those issues. And I had zero exposure to any other theological positions or views. What about the 17-year-old with no background who comes to Christ today? And what's he do? He gets right on his device, and there are wolves, wolves everywhere, wolves to be found. They look like sheep. They look like pastors. They carry Bibles. They use the name of Jesus. But Jesus says, "Ah, watch out. They will be ravening wolves, and they will lead many astray. Paul talks to the Ephesian elders about this in Acts chapter 20. This is the last time he gets to see them, and he knows it'll be his last, so he, he gives them his, his last words. Like, he's the Apostle Paul. You're the elders of the great church in Ephesus. It's like the mother church of Asia Minor. 
And this is the last time he gets to address them. He doesn't waste words. He's got some serious things on his mind. And here's what he talks to them about, among other things. He says, therefore, I testify to you. That's oath language. It's like we're in court and I'm testifying. My words are going to be true. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. Well, why, Paul? In what way are you innocent of the blood of all? For I did not shrink. There's a lot of shrinking. Paul says, I didn't shrink. I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Everything the Bible teaches on everything humans need to know, I didn't hold back anything because it had become unpopular. I didn't hold back anything because somebody wouldn't like it. I didn't hold back anything because it wasn't PC. No, Paul says, here's what renders me as a minister of the gospel innocent of the blood of all. I didn't do that thing. Reach back to last week's message and bring it up here a little bit. I stood in my integrity as a minister of the gospel and a teacher of the word, and I did not shrink back. Well, hell's not very popular. We can't talk about that. We better shrink back. A very good friend of mine who moved away. They used to be part of this church, and they moved away. They're up in Lancaster, but we stay in touch. I love him. And he was telling me that when they were part of a church near here, before they ever came to this church, part of a church near here, and it was the day for their teen son to get baptized, and somebody interviewed him backstage. Now, tell us again, what are you going to say? Because they get to talk, say something after baptism. And he was going to end his thing by saying, so I'm so thankful I've become a Christian so that now I don't have to go to hell. And they told him, oh, wait a minute, you can't say that. That would take a lot of explaining. A lot of explaining, like H-E-L-L. I think we know, all know what that means. But in that church, you're not allowed to just say that without a whole lot of padding, a whole lot of you know, softening, a whole lot of preparing. You just can't say, there's a heaven and a hell, and when I believe on Christ, now I'm going to heaven and not hell. You can't say that. Paul didn't shrink back. He didn't have one word you couldn't talk about. He didn't have anything he had to soft pedal, but he declared the whole counsel of God to these Ephesian elders. Well, what's the danger? What's the big deal? Um, let's go on, verse, verse uh, 28. Pay careful attention. Watch. Pay careful attention to yourself so you don't go theologically bad, so the wolves don't get you, so you don't start thinking, moving theologically left, liberal, hmm, maybe I don't believe that. I'm not sure about that anymore. Maybe I won't stand with that one anymore. No, pay close attention to yourself because the wolves will come after you. You're a shepherd. They'd like to take you out. And, and in our day, shepherd after shepherd after shepherd after shepherd after shepherd moves left and says, I don't believe that anymore. I don't think the Bible says that anymore. Shepherd, I'm not exaggerating, just as Jesus was not exaggerating when he said many. Pay careful attention to yourself and to the flock, because the wolves want to get at the flock. What's the job of pastors? Well, it's, it's multi, but one part of it is to watch. Are there any wolves coming in among us? Is there anybody getting at our sheep? Is there anybody trying to 
draw them away from Christ and the doctrine that is according to godliness. Watch. Watch all the flock in which, now he ups the ante, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So I know the people voted on you. I know you agreed to be that. I know the church appointed you. But in all that, it was the Holy Spirit who really appointed you, who made you overseers. Your job is to oversee, to watch. And it's the Holy Spirit who gave you that job. And you are to care. That's the word pastor. That's the word shepherd. You're you're to shepherd. You're to care for the church, part of which is protecting the church from wolves so they don't get bitten, so they don't get spiritually devoured. Care for the church of God. And now he really adds strength to it all when he says, which he obtained with his blood. In other words, the thing you're caring for is the most valuable thing on the planet, It's the church of Jesus Christ. The the only thing purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ is his church. And you shepherds are caring for it. So shepherd, shepherd that flock. Pay careful attention. Well, Paul, why are you going into all this? Are you an extreme? Are you a radical? Are you running wild-eyed through the night crying, wolf, wolf? No, Paul's telling us the truth. Fast forward to the book of Revelation, check out the Ephesian church. They weren't doing too good, nor were a bunch of the others in Asia Minor, the satellite churches of Ephesus. So Paul says, pay attention. And he goes on to say, well, here's why. Verse 29, I know that after my departure, remember, this is his final time with them. I know that after I leave you all, fierce wolves and notice they arrive from two quarters. Fierce wolves will come in from among, in among you. They'll start out there, but they'll come in. Now they really come in with the World Wide Web so easily, so readily. They will, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves. That's not good English. That's redundant English. Your own self, my own self. No, no, that's not good English. But it's what it is in the Greek. So I'm glad they brought it into the English. It's a way of emphasizing it. Even from among your own selves will arise men. We should not think that this cannot happen to Cornerstone Church. We should not think, oh, our church could never go theologically liberal. We should not think our church could never give up on the gospel and hell and regeneration and the new birth. We should never think that could happen. It can happen. After our oldest two elders, Stan and I lie in our graves, and maybe some of the younger ones follow us, it's going to be a new generation of pastors in this church. We're trying to stack the deck and get a new generation in now so by the time we depart, they're standing. They're ready. But, uh, man, I have this, this thought that haunts me sometimes. Like, what if after we're gone, some fool arises and speaks perverse things to draw away the disciples? And Cornerstone Church, it's happened to many, many, many churches. And Cornerstone Church goes theologically liberal. He says, I know they'll, they'll, rise, they'll come in among you and they'll rise up from among your own selves. Will the rise men speaking, here's what they always do, speaking twisted things. 
twisted things. Now, there are really three arrows in the devil's quiver when it comes to you and the Bible, when it comes to you and truth. There's more arrows like temptations of all kinds, but there's three arrows when it comes to you and the truth. And he does these again and again and again and again, all down through church history. Arrow number one, he denies scripture. We saw that in the opening reading, Genesis chapter three. Uh, God has not said, because God knows that. And he flat out denies. So what they do today is they say, I no longer believe the Bible is inerrant. So this part of the Bible, we'll just, we'll tear that out. And this part over here, it's not popular right now. We'll tear that out. This part over here doesn't look good right now. We'll tear that out. And we'll just, we'll save the pieces that we like. That's one way. Deny that it is the inerrant, authoritative, infallible word of God. But less than that, and I listen to another guy. Sunday mornings when I'm all ready, I like to sit there and just listen to wolves Usually I listen to good guys. Today I got into wolves because I couldn't preach on wolves. And I heard a guy this morning and he was saying, well, he doesn't believe there's this social issue pressing in upon us. That's what it always is. The church is always reacting to some social issue. There's this social thing pressing in upon us. And he said, well, Jesus never taught against that. Now the apostles clearly did. And Jesus did too, he was wrong. But you see, his argument was, if Jesus didn't say it, then we don't have to believe it. If Jesus didn't say it, we don't have to go with it. What's wrong with his doctrine? He has no doctrine of the word of God whatsoever. His Bible is only as big as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and he probably thinks some of that should be torn out. We have a doctrine that says the apostles were appointed by Jesus Christ They were promised to get his spirit who would remind them of all things that he has told them so they could write it and record it for us so that we could have God's word. This man has no doctrine of apostolic Christianity. He's he's a, a very influential pastor in America today. If Jesus didn't say it, it doesn't count. That's another way we get rid of it. And then the other way is, and this is perhaps the most popular, how do we twist the word? Well, you look at the passage that isn't popular, and you look at the passage, and you know how Christians have interpreted that for 2,000 years with one voice. They've said, that teaches X. But you don't like X because you got the culture pressing in on you and the culture doesn't like X. And so you're looking for, this is dangerous. You're looking for some way to get X out of your Bible. And when you look for that, you'll always find it. And so pretty soon they step over here and say, "Uh, we have a new way of interpreting that passage. Some new data has come to light. It had better be very good because you're standing up against 2000 years of monolithic church history. Like maybe there's something all Christians have missed till you, but I doubt it. If you find something new in the Bible, you're probably wrong. If you come up with some brand new interpretation because culture is pressing in on you and making you look bad if you hold the line with the biblical interpretation of 2,000 years, and if you find a new one because of that pressure of culture, you're probably wrong. Never, never, never start with, well, I feel the pressure of culture. I'm going to go try and find something in the Bible. Always go and say, whatever the word teaches me, I will bow before it. Even if it's unpopular, if they'll hate me, if they'll stone me, I'm going to stand with the word. Amen? Yeah. But they twist. They twist. Speaking 
twisted things. Oh, that's an exaggeration. No, this is Paul. Oh, that will never happen in our church. No, he solemnly warns us. Jesus warned us there will be many. And then he, then he ends with verse 31. Verse 31, therefore be alert. <laughs> Here he is again. Watch, pay attention, be alert. Have your antennae up. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, our antennae are up. Remembering that for three years, I was with you for three years. What'd you do in those three years, Paul? I did not cease night or day to admonish, to admonish, to admonish everyone with tears. He loved them. He cared for their souls. He was moved by the power of truth going into their hearts. And he, why, why did you do that, Paul? Because this verse is in a context. Because I know there are wolves. Because I know they'll come in. I know they'll rise up. And so I taught and taught and admonished and admonished to prepare you for this, to make you solid for this. So that's Paul. And that's Jesus. Let me give you just a statement based on those two now. Next slide. Because we can expect... Hmm? Because we can expect false teachers to come into Cornerstone and to rise up from within Cornerstone. A very important job of our pastors is to watch. Do we see any wolves? Are our people seeing any wolves? And we need to go and rescue them? Because wolves abound in our day, like never before. Christians who have not been well-grounded, Christians who have not been well-taught, Christians who are baby Christians, Christians who are new Christians, Christians who are gullible Christians, Christians who live out on the periphery of the flock, not in the middle of the flock, not embedded in the life of the flock, are vulnerable like never before. So one of our jobs is to watch. By the way, I'll just give you this as my two cents. You can throw it out if you want because the Bible does not say this directly, what I'm about to say. So I told you that. I'm allowed to say some things that the Bible doesn't directly say, right? Just so I tell you that. So it is my understanding and it is our understanding that the Bible mandates that males be pastors. We get that from 1 Timothy chapter 2 where Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but rather to be in submission. And then why? What are his reasons? He roots it in creation. He says, for the, the, the man was made first, then the woman, and it was not the man who was deceived, but the woman was hyper-deceived, is actually in the text, uh, and therefore dot, dot, dot. So without trying to exegete those things, Paul gives two reasons why you're supposed to have male teachers in the assembly, why you're supposed to have male pastors in the church. That is caving, 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 caving in our day. And there's ginormous pressure from the culture to find new ways to interpret 1 Timothy chapter 2, which is like an impossible task. Like, poor heretic, poor wolf. That's got to be hard to do. It's, gotta, it's a hard job you have, man, because 1 Timothy 2 is so clear but there are, and I've been exposed to, there, there are new ways of interpreting that. But okay, that's all scripture. Now here's the part I want to add. Like why would God say only men? Maybe, this is a heartland maybe. Maybe because a big part of the job is to watch and to go after 
wolves. Now listen, I'll start with just a little illustration. So I'm married to Debbie. We have foxes in our backyard sometimes. They're kind of cute, but we've never seen a wolf. But let's suppose a growling, snarling wolf is out in our backyard looking in our window and growling, and we have to go out and deal with it. Just imagine with me. Why would we go out? I don't know. One of, one of us is going to take the, the Mossberg 500 and go out there and bring him to a swift end. So we talk amongst ourselves about which one of us should go. And suppose I say, well, well baby, I'll, I'll stay inside. You go. Why are you all laughing? You know who's supposed to deal with the wolf, right? You send the man out. Due to testosterone and other factors, you know, when you get a testosterone test, if you're a woman and you get a very high score, you're 60. If you're a male and you get in the high end of the normal male range, you're 1,200. Testosterone is aggression. Testosterone is assertiveness. This is why on everybody's tests, even female psychologists who hate the results can't get past the results that males are way more aggressive, way more assertive, way more direct than females. It's a fact. Maybe that's some of why God says, because one of your jobs is to deal with wolves, you gotta be guys. That was a heartland maybe. But the point is, there are wolves attacking the church. Let's go to 1 Timothy 4. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 1. Now, Paul says, the Spirit expressly says. What does that mean? Well, Paul is an apostle prophet of the new covenant, and as such, he receives direct revelation from the Lord, and the Spirit says things to him, and he passes them on to the church, and he's passing something on to us now. So the Spirit, the Spirit of God, expressly. That means there's no waffling. It wasn't uncertain. I kind of think maybe he said, no, no, it's express. It's very clear. The spirit expressly says that in latter times, that was his time. And that's our time. This entire age is called in various places in the new Testament, the latter times, the last times, the last days we're in them. The spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith. Man, people are departing and departing and departing and departing. And it's been that way all the way down through the church age. This is nothing new, but it might be worse now than ever because the access that wolves have to us is immense. Some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to, wow, deceitful spirits. Now Paul goes subterranean. Now Paul goes down underneath. Now Paul shows us what's really going on. Now Paul shows us where it's really coming from. It's got the the smell of sulfur all over it. It's not just some people come up with some ideas. They don't realize they're pawns of deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. What are demons doing on the planet? Getting people to believe and propagate and teach heretical versions of biblical Christianity. Every time a false teacher appears on the scene, every time a false doctrine shows up, you're dealing with demons, the doctrines of demons. And so accordingly, Paul in 2 Timothy 4 says this, again, I charge you. It's every time it's serious. It's watch. It's I warn you. It's beware. It's I charge you. 
in the presence of God, that adds to the charge. And of Christ Jesus, that adds still more to the charge. Who is to judge the living and the dead, that adds more to the charge. And by his appearing in his kingdom, that adds more to the charge. This is a charge. Paul must really want Timothy to do something. Yeah, here's what it is. Preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. We saw this last week. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Why? Verse 3, for the time is coming. And it now is. When people, many people, will not endure sound teaching. I don't want to hear that. Because there's all this cultural pressure on me to believe the other. The time will come when people will not endure sound. They won't endure it. They'll stop up their ears and go running the other direction. But having itching ears, we talked about that last week, like a dog. Who has a dog? Does your dog have itching ears? Does your dog love you scratching the ears? He just pushes harder and groans and carries on. Scratch my ears. Having itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. The accumulation has never been greater has never been more possible than it is now. Thousands and thousands and thousands of wolves are available to you on your cell phone, in your pocket, everywhere you go, all day, every day. It's never been like that on the planet before. I'm not exaggerating. And people heap up teachers to suit their own passions. See, never start with, I have a passion. I'm going to go to the word and see if I can justify it. You will. Always start with, I don't have any desire in this thing. I don't have any skin in the game. I want what God wants, whatever his word says. I'm going to believe it. And you go to the word with that and you believe what the word says. Don't ever take an agenda to the word or you'll surely find a way to justify it. But they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And those teachers will turn them away from listening to the truth and they'll wander off into myths. That is happening and happening and happening and happening and has been throughout church history, but it might be worse now than it's ever been. Wandering off into myths, things that aren't God's word, they accumulate them. John chimes in, 1 John 4, beloved, do not believe every spirit. So there's the Holy Spirit. He gave us the word of God. It is inspired. It is God-breathed. It is infallible. It is inerrant. It is authoritative. It is sufficient. It's God's sufficient word. Don't believe every spirit. There are other spirits. There are those crafty spirits that lie underneath, that are behind false teachers. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. How do you test the spirits? With God's word. Let me add something to that. Since we're here at the end of 2,000 years of church history, a very important part of the test, a very important part of the test is probably church history. All right, I'm not the first Christian to ever sit here, me and my Bible will determine what's true. There have been a lot of Christians before me who have studied and prayed and searched the scriptures and had conferences to decide what does the word of God teach and that the church has agreed and written documents and documents and documents. And for 2,000 years, here's what Christians have believed. Man, 
If somebody comes up, some new spirit comes up with some new doctrine, how do you test it? You go to the word, but what's the quality control on your work in the word? It's church history. Did anybody before me ever find this? If not, you're probably wrong. If everybody, then you're probably right. Quality control, church history. So John says, Many false prophets, for many false prophets, many again, many false prophets in his day have gone out into the world. Many saying they're Christians, but twisting doctrine. Not a few, many. He describes them a little more in 1 John 4, verses 5 and 6, where he says, they are from the world. You see, they didn't start with the word. It's not that they are from the word. No, they are from the world. Now, when you start with the world and you go to the word, you'll find the world. You'll find what you want. But that's the world discipling Christians. That's Christians following the world. We're supposed to be transformed and not be like the world by the renewing of our minds in Scripture. But they're from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world. You know the world's position on that? They speak it, and they find it in Scripture, and they justify it. You know the world's position on that? They speak it, and they find it, and they justify it from Scripture. They're from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. Oh, the world likes, you know, Oprah would interview them. Is she still interviewing people? I don't know. Right? They'll be invited to do a TED Talk. Oh, we found a Christian we like. You can do a TED Talk. The world listens to them. By contrast, stark contrast, John says, we are from God. My beloved brothers and sisters, we are not from the world. We are from God. And we listen to God. And whoever knows God listens to us, John says. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. That's why they don't listen. They're not starting with God. They're starting with a lust. They're starting with an agenda. They're starting with a morality that is not biblical. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The power of culture, and, and it changes. The issues change from time to time. Just depend, whatever disease the culture catches, then the church catches it, and then believers say, oh, I can find that in the Bible, and they find a new justification. I, I have this theory. So yesterday we had a men's breakfast. That's an awesome time. You guys who don't come to the men's breakfast, what is wrong with y'all? You ought to come to that thing. It's so good. And yesterday, Jason Wallace, one of our pastors, led us in a talk on man at work. It was something about bringing home the bacon or something like that. And it was good. And I sat there thinking, knowing I'm preaching this stuff today, I just I couldn't help it. I sat there thinking, you know, if the church ever comes up with the disease, I'm sorry, if the world ever comes up with the disease, hate your boss. Because he was in Colossians 3, where it says, here's how you're supposed to relate to your boss. You honor them, you work hard for them, not just with eye service as men pleasers, but as unto the Lord. If the world ever came up with a thing that, like, bosses are evil, hate your boss. There would be Christian teachers. Oh, I, I, yeah, I can find that in Scripture. I can just, we have a new way of interpreting Colossians 3. That's how it goes. Over and over and over and over. And the problem is far greater in these days of instant internet access to every false teacher on the planet. 
So let me ask this question. How are wolves attacking in our day? That's a slide, oh, slide man, thank you. How are wolves attacking in our day? Number one, same thing, they it's just like pinky in the brain. Same thing we do every day, brain or pinky. What do they do every day? They attack the doctrine of scripture. They deny it by saying it has errors. They deny it by eliminating it to only what Jesus said, but will chuck those apostles and all their lame doctrines. They deny it by new twisted interpretations of it. And the church catches the world's diseases. They're, they're attacking the doctrine of scripture. They're attacking the doctrine of hell. It was the same thing as in Spurgeon's day. They didn't want to believe in hell anymore. Hell became unpopular. That happens over and over and over and over and over down through church history. It's really happening in our day. So like probably the latest, the biggest, the most powerful, most important broadside on the doctrine of hell was from the guy named Rob Bell and his book, Love wins. His whole theory was he turned hell into a really temporary Protestant purgatory. If you die without Christ, you'll go there. And sooner rather than later, in the greater light of that day, you'll make a better decision and then you'll be transported over into heaven. So why did Christ die? Just go to purgatory for a little bit, burn it off, and you're in heaven. All right? All these things attack the cross. All these things, you attack hell, you're attacking the cross. You no longer need a substitutionary atonement. Or there's the gospel of doing good unto others. This was theological liberalism in the 1900s, and there's a lot of this going on today. So in, in the 1920s, can you all bear with me a little more church history? You okay? So in the 1920s, what happened is we sent our best students, our best students for the ministry, over to study in Germany. We sent our guys who were gonna be our seminary professors over to Germany. Germany was theologically a wasteland at that point, but it was good scholarship. It's good to have their PhD. So we sent our guys over there. They came home with no faith. They came home with doctrines of demons. They came home with no Bible. They came home with no atonement, no hell, no Jesus Christ, and they became the pastors. And the mainline denominations they came home to just crumbled just crumbled. There's one that's still standing, and it's right now crumbling due to the current social pressure. Right now, it's crumbling. But they crumbled in the 1920s, and we had what was called the fundamentalist modernist controversy. And it was hard to find a church that believed and preached the Bible. It was hard to find a church. Imagine, great churches have been built for preaching the gospel and the word of God, and now they've crumbled. And all they do is spout errors that damn people's souls. And how do they do that? They deny scripture and they reinterpret scripture and they come up with the gospel of doing good to others. Do we have that on the next slide, please? The gospel of doing good to others. So what they said back then was, just uh, everybody's going to heaven. God loves everybody. There's no hell. Christ's death was not a substitutionary atoning death. So let's just spend all our time making the world a better place. I'm all for making the world a better place. That's not how Paul spent all his time. It's not how John, that's not how Peter, that's not how Jesus spent all his time. What we're really about is getting people out of the planet and into hell. I'm sorry, heaven. Whoa! Sometimes by the end of the second sermon, the brain's fried. 
We're about getting people into heaven. Yeah, we want to do as much good as we can to people in the, on the process, but we're about the gospel of salvation by grace through Christ. Then there are, in our day, there are new doctrines about sexual preferences. We don't need to go into that. There are new doctrines about gender. We don't need to go into that. But they're pressing, pressing, pressing into the church. And there's crumbling, 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 crumbling. So here's my final section of today's sermon. Thanks for hanging in there with me. How can I avoid the fangs of wolves? One, you should be very careful about from whom you learn. Pick your teachers very, very carefully. You need to be very, very discerning. And if you're not, don't just start Googling. Ask somebody who is very solid, very mature, very solid. Who should I listen to? Who would be a good source for me to learn from? You need to identify and learn from responsible and reputable teachers. Buy a good systematic theology if you like to read. There are lots of good ones. Here's a good one. Buy Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. It's solid. Buy yourself an ESV study Bible. The scholars who wrote the notes in that study Bible are amazing and superb. And so far as I can tell, you can trust just about everything they say. And I've read in that Bible a lot. I love my ESV study Bible. You can go ahead and start if you want. Thank you. So be very careful about who you learn from. Ask a cornerstone pastor, what's a good source? Where should I study this? We'll be glad to help you. How else can you avoid the fangs of wolves? You should ask for the old paths, the old paths. There's a verse about that, Jeremiah 6, 16. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. That's that thing about church history. What are the old paths? What have all the Christians before me found on this issue and that moral thing and that situation and that problem? What has the church united found? And with one voice, that's a good old path. You, you, you're not likely to be right if you have a difference with all of that. There's a very high bar of the word of obligation for you to meet if you're going to differ with all of that don't get be dazzled by don't get bamboozled by every new teaching to come down the pike also ask what do the most noted solid bible teachers in our day say about that one of you recently gave me a book actually past couple weeks two of you gave me a book each one and one of them was a biography. Man, I've wanted that biography. It was a biography of the life of R.C. Sproul because he's now passed away. Is it glory? And I've been reading that biography. Like when I'm tired at night, I read. But when I'm tired of reading and I can't think very well, a biography is easy reading. Then that's my last thing I read. Then it's bedtime. So I'm, I've been reading through it. I'm about two-thirds of the way through it. Over and over and over and over again, he's fighting theological liberalism creeping into schools, creeping into churches, over and over, he's doing that. But also, I'm just amazed at how sound he is, except for baptism. Because we're Baptists and he's not. But how sound he is. Learn from R.C. Sproul. Find others like him. They're not hard to find. Ask us, we'll point you. 
ask for the old paths. Here's a third thing in closing. You should follow Jesus from deep inside the life of a doctrinally sound local church. So here's a flock of sheep right up in here in front of me. Here's a big flock of sheep. There's some wolves coming in. Where do you want to be? Like in the middle, right? Who should be on the perimeters? The pastors watching, ready to fight with wolves. Got their swords, their spears, their helmets, their breastplates, their feet shod. They're ready to fight the wolves. Where do you want to be? I want to be in the middle where the wolves aren't going to get me. Yes, deeply embedded in the life of a doctrinally sound local church. When you're a lone sheep out there, (laughs) you're easy prey. The devil and his doctrines are going to just pick you right off. Number four, and then then I'll be done. Our teaching should be so strong that false teachers don't stand a chance. Amen? We don't want a flimsy pulpit. We don't want a lightweight pulpit. Now I'm going to complain a little bit. I'm not a big complainer. I'm going to complain a little bit. I listen to a lot of other people. So I listened to one guy. You'd probably know who he is if I named him. And he did a whole series based on Seinfeld episodes. He only preaches for a half hour. By the way, I'm irked. I only get 40 minutes. I want five hours. I mean it. Every week I'm like, I need five hours for this. Do you think they'd come for five hours? But he only preaches for a half hour, and he spends the first 15 minutes of each episode talking about the Seinfeld episode and setting it up. So you got 15 minutes left to give them some word. Poor sheep. I listened to another guy, big church in Riverside, California. We used to live there, so I keep an eye on Riverside sometimes. Big church in Riverside, California. Grew like mad. Recently, he did a whole series on the Enneagram types, which are highly suspect and sketchy to begin with. But what do you do in a series on, why not preach Jude or something? Preach the book of Revelation. If I'm in a hospital room, and I know I'm dying, and maybe I got some fiery darts of doubt and fear and temptation flying past my head, I don't want a Seinfeld episode. I want the word. I want the Holy Spirit moving in my heart. So be strong, Cornerstone Church. Let me close with the verse, the very last verse at the bottom, Rob, Colossians 2.8. See to it, people of Cornerstone that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. That's, it always starts there. Oh, the world right now has a tradition. They have a philosophy. Let's find it in scripture. Let's get on, let's get on the horse here. According to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. See to it. Let's. Amen. You with me? Father in heaven, it's you who have raised up this church. And we pray that by your might, by your power, you might keep it. So help us to watch. Help us to shepherd well. And give us discernment we pray that we may discern the difference between light and darkness and truth and error. 
pray that this may be a day of salvation for some who are with us. May they call upon the name of the Lord Jesus and become part of the flock, part of the fold, and have life in him. And we ask for that and all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey, if we can minister to you, we'd love to. There's a connect card in the chair. There's a connect card under the video. Hook up with us. Tell us what your need is.